Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. Palm Sunday. One, maybe one of the most misunderstood holidays in the Christian world. Millions upon millions upon millions of people right now, just like us, are celebrating the Jesus triumphant entry. They're, they're waving palm branches, and it doesn't make a difference what denomination you are, whether you're Catholic or if you're Episcopalian, or if you're a Baptist or whatever. They're all doing kind of the same thing. Every church is kind of doing it all across the world. But here's a thought. Do we really understand what Palm Sunday is. And if we did, would we actually be doing those things? And I'm not here to kind of crush Palm Sunday and, and say all the things that it's not, but I would love for us tonight or today just to kind of take a look, a biblical look at what Palm Sunday really is. It's always, you know, it's the, it's the Sunday right before Easter. It, it kind of launches us into Holy Week. Uh, if you've been around church, you know what Holy Week is. Uh, Palm Sunday starts it, and then we have Monday, uh, th- Thursday, then we go Good Friday, then we go Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, which we're going to have a blast here next week, so you want to be here. Uh, if you're interested in following along with all the different things that are happening, you can actually go to an app called Easter Now, which we'll be doing push notifications, but they do it also, and they'll be able to actually, every moment leading up to the crucifixion, you will know what's going on in the life of Jesus. It's really, 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 really uh, profitable for us to do that. But a lot of people don't know that this is actually also the start of Passover. And Passover is an interesting holiday that goes back thousands of years. It actually goes back to the time of Moses. And sometimes we forget that that's part of our lineage. That's part of our history. It's in the Bible. What Passover was, real simple, was when Israelites were in captive to the Egyptians. There was a moment in time where God was going to release them and Moses was going to Pharaoh. But there was a time where there was 10 plagues that were brought. And the 10 plagues, one of the plagues was the death of the firstborn. And what happened was the angel or death angel would come and actually take that child. I know it's a different time. It sounds totally strange. We would never have acceptance for that right now, but it was, it was back in Old Testament. I, I don't, I don't, I don't claim to be God and understand all of the ins and outs of it. But what would happen is the death angel would pass by. And if there was a, a firstborn son, it would be taken. Unless you were an Israelite and you put blood of a, of a, of, of a lamb that you would put on the, the sides and the head post, and then the death angel would pass over that house. So what Passover is, is a reminder of the freedom that God gave the, uh, the Israelites, you know, four or five, 6,000 years ago. So that's what's happening here. This is actually the start of Passover. So Passover is happening. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He's become, and please don't take this. I'm not trying to be sacrilegious, but I don't know how to kind of explain it. Anyway, he's become quite a rock star of the time. Like everybody's wearing his t-shirts and walking around. They heard about him raising Lazarus from the dead. And there's a rumor that Lazarus is with Jesus right now as he's coming into Jerusalem. And then we read what happens in that moment as Jesus comes to the crowd and the buzz is all around. Lazarus is there. You know, maybe uh, history tells us maybe about 2 million people are at this moment for Passover. We read it in John chapter 12, 12. And by the way, it's interesting. This is the only account that brings the palm branches into play. There's actually what's called the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what are known as the synoptic gospel. They say the same thing in all three of the gospels. John is this kind of rogue writer, though it's a historical account. Um, he seems to think uh, differently than everybody else. And he even thinks as he starts his, his gospel, he says, I am John, the one Jesus loves, like nobody else is loved by Jesus. 
So you get a kind of a, an idea that John's a little eclectic. John's a little bit maybe detail-oriented. John's a little bit more, you know, thinks that he has a little bit more. So he writes this, John chapter 12, verse 12. This is known as the triumphant entry. If you have an analog Bible in front of you, you actually probably see that headline. If you're on version, it probably says the same thing. Jesus is triumphant entry. It says in verse 12, the next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode it, uh, fulfilling the prophecy that we're going to read in a minute in Zechariah that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. Verse 16, his disciples didn't understand at the time. You may want to underline that. That's super important. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was the fulfillment of the prophecy. But after Jesus entered in his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized the things that had been written about him. Now, most of us are going, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. There's a part that's missing in this. So how many people grew up in a historical or a, a kind of a, a normal liturgical church, like a Catholic church or Episcopal? Raise your hand. You don't have to be ashamed that you grew up in that. Like Lutheran church, nobody. Everybody was growing up in the Baptist church. Okay, Catholic. So in the Catholic church, we read the King James Version. And it says the line that we all know, Hosanna, 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 blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, there again, John writes it this way and says, blessed. I want to stop. We're in a series called Misconceptions. And I'm going to stay true to the series because there's a major misconception that so many times we miss in the church. And it's this, what they expected and what came were two different things. The Jesus that they were wanting was not the Jesus that showed up that day at the Passover, the beginning of Passover. As a matter of fact, it's interesting to me because we wave these palm branches and, you know, churches all over the world are going to wave palm branches, wave palm branches, wave palm branches. These were not associated with the Passover. These were associated with Hanukkah. And we realize, okay, if it wasn't part of a religious holiday, why were they doing it? Well, if you were an athlete or if you were a king that had just conquered another kingdom, they would lay palm branches down at your feet so the animal or you wouldn't even touch them. And so it was a sign of victory. It was a sign of this, this earthly, you know, political king. And that's why they were waving these palm branches. And so Jesus comes in like, and, and here's the deal. Jesus, you know, his, history would have told him, we want a king. We're going to bring him in on a horse because when a, when a king came on a horse, he meant business. Like he was ready to take down all the kings. And this was actually a sign of victory. He was a noble steed, as Donkey said in Shrek. That's what Donkey wanted, right? And I'm going to go over there in a minute. I'm going to let you, and I'm going to ask you to do me a huge favor. Everybody use your inside your brain voice for the next few minutes because I have heard every jackass joke that can possibly be told in the last uh, four or five days. Okay, so get them all out right now. Get them all out. Don't say them when I get over there. All right? So here's the deal. He didn't come in on this. He came in on this. If we know anything about history, why he came in on this is he wasn't coming for war. He wasn't coming to conquer a kingdom. He wasn't coming to have some type of great victory. He was actually coming in peace. And the misconception is, and still in the world today, we're all wanting that Jesus. We want that Jesus right there in our political party. We want that Jesus in our church. We want that Jesus in our government. We want that Jesus. But that's not the Jesus that came. It was this Jesus. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest misconceptions is this right here. Jesus came into the world to bring love and peace, even though the crowd expected a king of war. That was their expectation. They wanted him to fight. 
They wanted him because Jerusalem had been at that point oppressed by the Romans. And he wanted, they, everybody wanted him to take, take his rightful place and take down these awful Roman people. Take them down. Come in as this king. That's not how Jesus was coming. Jesus didn't come to be a political figure. Here's an interesting thing 2,000 years later after Jesus, we're still having that same fight, aren't we? Like if you're on this side of the aisle, if, let's say we'll call it Republic. If you're on this side of the aisle, you can justify all the Jesus stuff in the Bible that you want. And you can say Jesus is all these things and Jesus was probably a Republican. Well, hold on a second. Because you want to know something, the people on the other side of the aisle can use the same scriptures and talk about the same Jesus and be totally opposite. They can say Jesus was a great liberator. They can say Jesus was a great this. Jesus was a great that. All those things, you get them over here. It's a fight that we've been fighting. Actually, I had a conversation with a guy not too long ago. And he says, I just want you to know, man, I appreciate, I appreciate how, you, how, you, how you bring Jesus up. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, you, you make him out to be this great Republican. I was like, mm-hmm. I, I've, never, I've, I've never made him out to be any great political leader because that's not the Jesus that, that came in. See, Jesus came to free us, but not from a political party. Jesus came to free us from sin and death and hell and the grave. He didn't come to overcome a political party or a government. He came to overcome sin in our lives that we can't overcome ourselves. So in this process of us trying to figure out what king, they were struggling thousands of years ago, the same thing, because all of the, all the irony and all the, all, the, all, the, all the stuff that was happening were leading to this, and they absolutely missed it. They missed the whole idea of what Jesus was coming in. I mean, do you know that from the very beginning, Jesus' mission was stated? We read about it in Luke chapter 2. This is what it says, Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, in heaven, and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. Peace on earth. That's why he came. That's what the angel said to Mary right there, and peace on earth. You're going to have this Jesus. If you read the King James in John 16, 33, it says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have what? Peace. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let your heart not be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Peace, that's what he came to bring. He came to bring us peace in our turmoil life. And one of the things that I've understood about sin, as I'm 57 years old, sin brings great turmoil in my life, doesn't it? Sin brings great confusion in my life, and I need peace and joy, and that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to this troubled world that we can have peace, the kind of peace, just to be quite honest with you, the peace that the world doesn't understand at all. But you do if you're a believer, right? I had a conversation with a, a family this past week, and we were talking about they lost a loved one, and I, I just said, I don't know how, and I've said it before you've heard me say, I don't know how people go through tragedy, a loss of a loved one, a death, a cancer, whatever, without Jesus. Because there's just no hope if, 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 we, if we don't have that. And, and I love the way it's said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. See, that's the kingdom that God came. That's the reason Jesus came. Now, don't have any misconception. Jesus came not to rule in a palace, not to rule in the White House, not to rule in an earthly throne, but to rule in the hearts of men and women are longing for him. That's what Jesus came to do. You know what else? There's a couple other misconceptions. Maybe some things that even in our own minds, we've wondered how it happened. 
Uh, Jesus knew that in the coming days, he would suffer a humiliating death, and yet he still made his triumphant entry. Think about that for a second. He knew he was 100% God and he was 100% man. When he got on that donkey, he knew it was the start of the fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy. He knew exactly what was going to happen. That one week from now, he was going to be executed. One week from now, all this bad stuff was going to happen. All this, all this was going to happen. Anybody ever, anybody ever have something ha- happen that you have this, like, this great regret of it happening? Like, like you have a, like a lump in your throat and you get the pit of your, anybody know what I'm talking about? Nobody ever got in trouble when they were growing up. So I know it's hard to believe, right? Um, Pre-Christian Bobby is not post-Christian Bobby. Somebody say amen real loud. I am a firm believer in 2 Corinthians. The old is gone. Thank you, Jesus. The new has come. I remember I didn't get uh, asked Christ to be my Savior until I was like a senior in high school. So 1983, you can do the math. It's a long time ago. But I got caught the day before doing something I shouldn't have done. And it was not just like a minor thing. It was a major thing. Now, I grew up in the days um, that teachers were allowed to spank you. There was none of this, go sit in the corner. And by the way, I also grew up in the days that mom and dad had no problem licking your rear end with a, with a switch right? You know, we didn't put a helmet on for that. There was no helmet that was going to work for that. Y'all drag, right? You with me? So I go to school and I was like, I was longing for them. Listen, some of you are going, is he talking about spanking our kids? You determine that in your own life. Okay. I turned out okay. For the most part. Hear me on this, hear me on this. So I get to school. When I get to school, everybody was talking. There was a chatter in the school. Did you hear what Bobby did? And I just knew. I knew it was going to happen. I get the first period. I have a test. I can't concentrate. You know why? Because I got this lump in my throat. I know punishment's coming. I get the third period, which is a free period. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing up. I am sick to my stomach. I get to lunch. I can't eat. I, I hang out with all my friends. I get to the last period of the day. And there is Mr. Mitchell, our gym teacher. He had hands the size of a tennis racket. And then the tennis racket that I was going to get licked with. I can tell you this, the punishment was way worse than what I thought it was going to be. Now, stop for a second. 10 million times worse. Jesus is on the donkey. And he's getting ready to go up that road. And he knows exactly what's going to happen. And he did it anyway. He did it anyway. There was no other choice. In order for him to please his father, he had to get on that donkey. He knew exactly what Zachariah said. He knew exactly that this was the start of the fulfillment, that everything was going to happen. Everything after this was going to go south. It says in verse 9 of uh, Zechariah chapter 9, it says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout shout and triumph, O people of uh, Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Jesus knew what was about to happen, and he did it anyway. Think about that for a second. He knew all the horrible, horrific things were going to happen. He knew how he was going. And here's the deal. This is what I've learned from this. We never know what's around the bend, do we? Could be good, could be bad. And you know what I found out? 
Some people are paralyzed in the present because of the hurt or the pain of what they know might happen. Jesus did it anyway. I I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. His dad's dying and rapidly dying of cancer. And he said that he he loves getting together with his dad. His dad's his best friend. And he's, uh, I think he's just months away from not being with us anymore. And he said, we get together and we talk about sports and we talk about politics and we argue about politics and we argue about all that kind of stuff. And this is what he said. And this is just, it's just at home. He said, um, we laugh and talk like there's no end in sight. Think about that for a second. We could be paralyzed by the moments of our life. Jesus wasn't paralyzed. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He walked through because it was what he was called to do. Let me tell you another thing. Jesus knew that many in the crowd would turn against him and yet receive praise. He still let them praise him. I was going to do a sermon and it was going to be, told, it was going to be titled Judas 8. Think about that for a second. The night, that horrific night when Jesus was turned over, Judas was in the room. That horrific night, Judas was sitting there right there eating a meal with him. He was the one that leaned over and kissed Jesus to turn him over. All of those moments happened. Jesus allowed those to happen. And one of the greatest tragedies, in my opinion, the saddest part of this whole story from the time he gets on the donkey's colt to the time he's crucified, and even probably to the point where he's in the grave for three days, is the crowd changed that fast. That same group of people that was yelling, Hosanna, 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 is now yelling for a thief to be let out. Give us Barabbas. We want Barabbas. Barabbas, give us. Could you imagine it? Could you imagine the, the angst in, in Jesus' stomach when he's, you know, these are the people fickle and, 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 and they were just, you know, crying out and, and, and telling me how great I was. And now they're telling me how awful I am. Could you imagine that for just for a second? Now, anybody here ever heard of a term called hive mind? Have you ever heard of it? It's supposedly it's an internet phenomenon. I may not explain it absolutely correctly, but it's when two or three people um, share their thoughts, and then all of a sudden, all these people surround are swayed into this collective thought and going a certain direction, okay? We see it a lot on the internet, don't we? We see like one or two people all of a sudden expose something, or how, and then everybody, thousands of people join them. They don't know all the truth. They don't know all the situation. They don't know all the circumstances. They don't even know both, both sides of the story, but because two or three people have collectively changed their opinion, right? We see it all the time. And those people have a lot of keyboard courage, don't they? Like you never have those, some of those comments, you never have them face to face. They don't have enough courage to have that face to face, but it's called hive mind. Well, the thing about hive mind is people think it was just a, a recent thing. I think it's what happened back 2,000 years ago. I don't think it was the whole crowd. I think it was one or two. And one or two turned into 30 or 40, and 30 or 40 turned into 50 or 60 or 100, and 100 turned in, and then all of a sudden it was this moment of this collective thought that everybody was going the same direction, going, crucify him, crucify him. You ever gone to a concert? Anybody ever gone to a, a, we'll say, Bon Jovi? Okay. I went to a concert. I didn't even like the band. um, Anybody ever heard of rap? Nobody? Anybody heard of rap besides me? If you lived in the 80s, you know who rap is. Round and round, what comes around, comes around. Well, they had one, one song. Every other song sucked. I mean, one song. But we got to that one song. Like, I'm sitting here like this the whole night. And you know what? Can I, can I just let off a little steam real quick? Encores, encores are stupid. 
And, and, and these bands get to the very, and they haven't paid, played their three best songs. We know you're coming back out. So I went, like, went to Bon Jovi. I knew they were doing one in Dead or Alive. They hadn't done it yet. Right? Richie comes walking out. We know you're doing it, right? Well, here's the deal. Stupid, like this band. And, and all of a sudden, I noticed myself. What are you doing? You don't even like this band. I think that's what happened here. I think all of a sudden, people got caught up in the emotions of it. They got caught up in the, hey, maybe even this. They're calling for crucifying, crucify him. And if I stand up for him, they're going to crucify me. Here's what I've learned. Can I, can I give you my 57-year-old, I wish I would have known this when I was 17 or 18 moment. Crowds are fickle. Crowds are fickle. People are fickle. I had a guy, haven't seen him in a while. A couple years ago, he said, hey, Pastor Bobby, can I give you a little bit of advice? Sure, you've been preaching a long time? He said, no, I've never preached, but I'm just going to give you some advice. Okay? So he goes, if you're not stepping on people's toes every week, you're not doing your job as a preacher. I kind of disagree with that. I'm not that guy. I want to be the guy that lifts people up. We can expose sin, but let's, let's move on. And then all of a sudden, I noticed he wasn't here anymore. And so I decided to call him up one day, and I'm not going to tell you, we'll call him Doug. Hey, Doug, how you doing, buddy? Doing all right. Where you been? Uh, he's like, uh, I haven't been coming to Journey. I'm, I'm going to another church now. Why? Because a couple of weeks ago, you stepped on my toes. I'm thinking it's, it's okay for you to tell me that I'm stepping, I need to be stepping on people's toes every week unless it's your toes, and then it's not right. You know what? People that were once with you will turn on you that fast at times, won't they? Right? I, I watch it all the time online. Like all of a sudden, I love Journey. Journey's so great. That pastor's a loser. I don't even know who you are. Never met you. Maybe that's why I'm a loser. But it's one of those deals where the crowd, you've seen it in your workplace, haven't you? One minute, you're the best friend of everybody. The next minute, or somebody else, it's because fickle. The crowds are fickle. Jesus understood, and this is the, the tendency of people. He understood the personality. He understood the characteristics of people. He knew the DNA of people, and he did it anyway. He knew there was some in the crowd that were just along for the show. They were there for the entertainment. He knew that the conviction would change in the flash as soon as a new idea came around. You know what? He knew this on Palm Sunday. You know what else? He knew it when he was feeding the 5,000. You wonder what else? He knew it when he was healing people. He knew this all along and still did it. He knew it when he was going to the cross, and he still did it. That's what's so amazing to me. Here's what I've learned. And I love it the way C.S. Lewis says it. Humans are very seldom either totally sincere or totally hypocritical. Their moods change. Their motives are mixed, and they're often themselves quite mistaken as to what their motives even are. That's humans. Hmm. Let me give you one more thing. We'll close right here. Jesus knew that his followers wouldn't fully understand the events as they were unfolding. And yet, 
he offered an opportunity for them to participate in it, even though they didn't understand it. Even though that many of them were going to miss it. Verse 16 says, his disciples didn't understand at the time that this was the fulfillment of the prophecy. But after Jesus entered in his glory, they remembered what had happened, and they realized that these things had been written about him. Most of them didn't even recognize this until after the resurrection. Next week, we're going to look at the resurrection scene. It's the scene where they're sitting at the tomb, and the tomb is empty, and everybody's going, where is Jesus at? Jesus is mingling among them. Remember, he goes to Thomas, and Thomas goes, is this really you? The opportunity for him to miss him right there. He goes, no, 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 put your hands in my, put your hands right here, put your hands right here. I want to prove, no, 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 no. You know what the greatest tragedy of our lives would be? If we went all of our lives hearing about this Jesus and didn't do anything with him. That's the greatest tragedy that could ever happen. That we sit in churches, we read our Bibles, we go to Bible studies, but we never have an encounter with Jesus. We, we Listen, hear me on this. That we never bow a knee to the King of Kings and the Lord. We look at him, he's a great historical figure. He's a great prophet. You know, he's a great rabbi. He was a great teacher, but we never declare him King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That would be the greatest possible tragedy in our lives. And it's amazing to me how people can be in such close proximity to Jesus and still miss him. How they can hear about him week after week after week. And they have this, this misunderstanding, this misrepresentation uh, of who Jesus is. They're still looking for this Jesus when that's the Jesus that came. Luke chapter 24, there's this story. Jesus is now resurrected. He's already had the moment with his disciples and Thomas, and he's had that moment with Peter where he tells the women to go tell Peter that he's risen, and Peter is reinstated, and there's this moment, and lots of you have probably heard of this. You've probably even been part of the movement. It's called the walk to Emmaus. So Jesus is on the road to Emmaus, and as he's on the road to Emmaus, there's a couple guys in front of him. He walks up, and the Bible says that God somehow or another kept them from knowing who he was. Now, I don't know how you do that. I mean, this guy's got scars all over the place, 100% man, right? He's got a crown of thorn marks, and he's got lashes on his back. He, Jesus, and he walks up, and, and one of them says, who are you? And he doesn't give him any information, and Jesus asks them, he says, what are, you, what are you so downcast about? What are you so... Like, you're distraught, what's going on? He goes, well, haven't you heard of all the things that have happened? Now, now here's the tragedy. These guys were looking for this king. And now that king was in a tomb. They were, they were looking, they were wanting this political, this uprising of this political party that was gonna take over Jerusalem and take over the Roman government. They were looking for this one. That's why they were, that's why they were so downcast. That's why they were so frustrated. Haven't you heard? It's almost like they said, what, have you been living in a cave for three days? And he goes, yep, as a matter of fact, I have been. <laughs> they go to somebody's house. And Jesus is in charge of breaking the bread, right? Sound a little familiar? All of a sudden, he started tearing the bread off. And he said, do this. And they went, ah, 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 ah. And their eyes were open. But Jesus was walking right next to them and they almost missed him. 
And it just goes to show, we can be right there next to him. We can think that we're walking right there with him. But because of a misunderstanding, misrepresentation, we could be looking for that king when this is the king that he wants us to know. Would you do me a favor real quick? I want to pray together. I want to pray that God would open our hearts up over the next several days, that we would prepare our hearts with reading of scripture, that we would prepare our hearts with listening to worship music, that we would get ready for this weekend. That as we get to Sunday, that we're not preparing ourselves on Sunday for what God's done, that we're in preparation and recognizing what he's done for us, that he died on a cross. He did for me, he did for you what you couldn't, what I couldn't do for myself. Jesus knew, Jesus knew the significance of that triumphant entry, that it would be lost on so many, but don't let it be lost on us. So God, in this moment, God, if there's a misconception or maybe a misunderstanding of who you are, what you've come to do, outside of the fact you you died on a cross to demonstrate amazing grace. And as we looked at week one of this series, that, that you're a God of second chances. Truthfully, you're a God of another chance and another chance and another chance. So some of us in this room watching online, maybe down at Sherwood, over in our atrium. Maybe in this quiet moment, God's revealing some stuff. And you're going, I need, I need the real Jesus. Not the misconception Jesus. God, I pray you would do something in my heart I don't want to miss you. I don't want to miss you in the busyness of all that's going to happen this week. I don't want to miss you in the midst of the phenomena we call Master's Week in, in Augusta, Georgia. I don't want to get so caught up in all of that that I forget the real meaning of this time of year. That you laid down your life for me, for us. And because of that, I'll never be the same. And like that song that we sang a few minutes ago, I have witnessed. And I want to speak what I've witnessed to this world, to my family, to our community, to this church. That your God loves us and cares about us. That wants to break the yoke of sin in our lives bring us joy and peace. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or help taking your next step, email our team at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.